Hi, welcome to the podcast of our Wednesday night study here at First Baptist Church to Queen. As we go through the book of Revelation verse by verse, my name is Dr. Josh Harwick and I'm the pastor here at First Baptist to Queen. And over the next few months, we will be looking throughout the book of Revelation. If you have any questions or comments, please contact us here at the church uh, at dequeen.church, our website. And there on our website, you can find all the information you need to get in contact with us. We can't wait to hear from you and feel free to drop a, a like or a share of this podcast if you find it helpful. Now today we're going to begin in Revelation chapter 12. Uh, it, we, we've been looking at judgments that have been happening, judgment signs that have been happening, uh, but now John, who receives the revelation in vision form, begins a new vision, a new series of visions that are a little different in what they present. So Revelation chapter 12, starting in verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. Now these twelve stars could themselves be an indicator of Israel, that the woman is Israel. Now, it would seem, as we're going to see throughout the rest of the book of Revelation, the, the, the representation of the woman, she is the chosen of God, the believers. Here, is, she is Israel. This is a look at Old Testament Israel. Uh, and it will, the woman, we will see, will be believers, whereas in the Old Testament, believers were Israel. In the New Testament, believers, as demonstrated and explained by Paul in the book of Romans, the believers are Christians. Uh, but here we, we uh, see this woman pregnant with what will be the one bringing salvation. This is an uh, imagery that is not unique to Revelation. It's also in Isaiah chapter 26, Isaiah chapter 66, Micah chapter 4, and Micah chapter 5. Uh, she's close. She's in a position that defines her role specifically related to the child to be born. She's on the verge of giving birth to the Messiah. But as is prophesied in Isaiah 26, uh, verses 17 and 18, uh, as a woman with child and about to give birth writhes and cries out in her pain, so were we in your presence, O Lord. We were with child. We writhed in pain, but we gave birth to wind. We have not brought salvation to the earth. We have not given birth to people of the world. The people of Israel themselves could not bring salvation with their own systems. They could only give birth to the one who would bring salvation. And that's what this is the image of, this woman here in Revelation chapter 12. This is Israel going to give birth to the one who will bring salvation, Jesus. Uh, now look at verse 3 of Revelation chapter 12. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. So here we have a seven-headed beast, this dragon. And the heads could represent how difficult it is to defeat an opponent with so many points of strength. You cut off one head, well, there's still a bunch more that provide uh, the way forward for this beast. And the ten horns, they're a show of the dragon's strength. Those horns are frequently, in ancient literature, used as strength imagery. The seven crowns that, that this beast has, they seem to represent this dragon 
Uh, the seven crowns seem to represent the sovereign power that the dragon is presuming to possess. He's presuming to possess this power. Now, in Daniel chapter 7, verse 24, Daniel has a vision uh, of another beastly kingdom whose horns represent ten ruling kings of the world. That could be the case here, but there's no specific explanation given in, in the revelation context of the ten horns as there was uh, the uh, explanation in Daniel chapter 7. Now, we do find out in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, that this dragon presented here is Satan himself. And uh, the dragon, Satan, has power enough to remove a third of the stars from the sky and cast them uh, upon the earth. Now, this seems to be an attempt to emulate the power of God from Revelation chapter 8, verse 12. And uh, we're going to see throughout the rest of this teaching today and on through the rest of the book of Revelation, Satan attempts many times to copy uh, God's miracles, God's work, uh, God's very nature to try to get people to follow after himself, Satan. And so he removes a third of the stars from the sky, just as God did in Revelation 8, where he struck a third of the stars in the sky. Now, some believe that this third of the stars in the sky is a reference to Satan taking a third of the angels with him when he left heaven, but there's no indication of such a specific amount of defectors with him in Scripture. That is trying to, to work too hard to present an explanation of this. Um, it's more likely that he is trying to copy the work of God, just as what God did in Revelation 8 in removing a third of the, or, uh, you know, uh, striking a third of the stars. Here, Satan tries to do the same thing, striking a third of the stars. Um, well, however this played out, whichever way it is, or something we haven't even thought of yet, Satan was poised to kill the child of salvation who would come from Israel, that is, Jesus. Look at verse 5. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. So the child is, is to rule with an iron rod representing the firmness with which he is to rule. Now, Psalm chapter 2, verses 7 through 9, give us a prophecy about the coming son, God's son, actually. He says, you are my son, you shall break them with a rod of iron. And so this child that the woman gives birth to seems as though it can only be Jesus. And God directly intervenes to prevent the child from being killed when he is caught up. That is, the ascension of Jesus after his resurrection. And the woman is then hidden for the same amount of days as the witnesses preached. The phrase is even written in the same form. She is protected by God just as God's people were protected from harm earlier in Revelation. It seems as though God takes special care to protect the bearers of salvation. Throughout his entire purpose of presenting salvation to the world. Now look at verse 7. Now war arose in heaven. Now, that word now, that's a transitionary word, and it seems to mark a moment of transition from what has just transpired to what is happening now. Uh, here in verse 7, uh, John writes, Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. This section here begins what seems to be a throwback to Satan's eviction from heaven. 
It is used to remind us of the greater war that this battle of Revelation is a part of, and of which we ourselves are also currently engaged in. And it speaks of Michael and his angels fighting against Satan and his angels. Now, Michael is an archangel and an angel of war experienced in battle. Uh, He's mentioned in Daniel chapter 10, verse 13, verse 21, Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, and in Jude chapter 9. And he is called an archangel, and he he is uh, uh, depicted as one who um, engages in great spiritual war. And he does here with Satan, and Satan and his angels lose their place in heaven. This is what makes us think that this section is a glimpse back to the beginning. Satan's place in heaven was lost when he sought open war against God. There are some who believe that this moment here occurs when Jesus dies and raises from the dead, but the language of any place for them in heaven seems to imply that they chose to reject their divine purpose of worship, which would have been forfeited when they chose to actively work against God's authority. Verse 9, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. Now, the specific term Satan means adversary. It's used throughout Scripture. It's used of Solomon's enemies. It's used of David himself. It's even used of the angel of the Lord as being an adversary against those who would oppose God. But the, the, the phrase, the term, eventually came to be solely used to describe the leader of God's enemies. And Satan is categorically thrown from the place that he had been desi- designed to serve in for all time. He now assumes the role, as it says there, of constant accuser. We get a demonstration of that in Job chapter 1 and 2. It is significant also that this angel who is speaking, notice the loud voice, the voice though doesn't come from the altar, doesn't come from the throne, it's just a loud voice, and so that makes us believe that this is uh, simply an angel uh, speaking here, and this loud voice Uh, This angel refers to the followers of Christ as their brothers, for they were both unified, believers and angels, in serving the same purpose and mission. And he presents this song of victory for a victory that has already been won over Satan. There is no need to look in anticipation to a victory, for it has already been won. We are seemingly simply awaiting its realization. Verse 11, and they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. Now the believers overcame, that is past tense, they overcame the onslaught of Satan. And they gave of their lives in the pursuit of their testimony. They loved the gospel even more than they loved their physical life. Then we see victory is already being celebrated in heaven, but those on the earth will suffer because Satan 
knowing that his defeat has already happened, will attack until his time runs out. Verse 13. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time, times, and half a time. Having already been defeated in the heavenly realm, Satan now turns his attention to those associated with his defeater who are on the earth. His battles are limited to the earth where he has been confined. And the woman being hidden uh, is a reference back up to verse 6, where she is also hidden by God for three and a half years. And believers, the woman, believers will be protected for this time here, 1,260 days, drawing on the times language from Revelation chapter 11, verses 2 and 3. The eagle's wings seem to be a reference to the power and swiftness with which the followers of God will be rescued. So the woman will be supernaturally both rescued and nourished. It it, it draws to my mind uh, Elijah being in the wilderness when he was awoken by God and supernaturally nourished by God, or Jesus after uh, he was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days. It says that he was supernaturally nourished as well. And in a similar vein, the believers, this woman, will be supernaturally nourished. Verse 15. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with the flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. So here we see Satan threw evil after the woman in some manner, taking the form here of water, quote-unquote, like a river. Now, it could be literal water, but John, again, strategically uses the word like to indicate that though what he was describing may not be physical, his words are the best he can do to relay what he is seeing. The earth then swallows the evil. As much of Revelation can be an allusion back to Exodus, God saving the woman by means of the earth could be a reference to Moses' song in Exodus chapter 15, verse 12, where he said, You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. So whether figurative or literal here, the point is that Satan will attempt to kill believers, and God will protect them through possibly unconventional means such as the earth opening up and swallowing the water. Verse 17. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Now, I find this rather um, funny so to speak, in that now the dragon becomes furious, as though everything he's done so far wasn't uh, furious, wasn't him pouring forth wrath. At this point, at this particular juncture, the dragon became furious with the woman, and he goes off to make war with the rest of her offspring. So having been ineffectual against God, Satan shifts his focus entirely to the people of God. He attempts to harm God by attacking Christians. He tries to completely dismantle the efforts of God's people 
by undertaking warfare and all of its strategies. Now look at chapter 13. A new scene rises. Verse 1. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads and ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to the dra- and to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. So this beast comes out of the sea. And the ancient world often associated evil with the sea. This beast from the sea comes in a very similar fashion to the image of Satan from Revelation chapter 12, verse 3, with seven heads, ten horns. But this beast here has ten crowns on his horns as opposed to the seven on the heads of the dragon. The beast of the sea has the characteristics of a leopard, a bear, and a lion who are all included in the first three beasts coming out of the sea as seen by Daniel in Daniel chapter 7, verses 3 through 6. The crowns rest on the horns, demonstrating that the power of the beast of the sea rests on force or or strength. This beast is widely believed to be a singular antichrist, or the government that he introduces. Notice that the names of the beast written on the heads are not mentioned, the, the blasphemous names, but their blasphemous nature demonstrate the hatred by which all thing, uh, the hatred by the beast of all things God-related. Having multiple heads and yet one mouth is a very interesting concept. It would seem to indicate that his powerful heads all speak with one individual powerful voice. And then we see that all of the sea beast's power was given to him by the dragon, Satan. So the rise of this beast to prominence is, is simply a great strategy of the enemy in his war. Verse 3. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? So the sea beast appears as if it had been slain, just as the lamb did in Revelation 5, verse 6. The sea beast is attempting to appear Christ-like, or at the very least, to have the same authority and power as Jesus. He recovers from his mortal wound, and the earth eagerly follows him because of his seemingly miraculous recovery. Uh, In Revelation chapter 13, verse 14, uh, that tells us that his head was wounded by a sword. So it would seem that the slaying here occurred at the hand of an opposing force, possibly even as a result of, of battle. And this recovery from a fatal wound proves that resistance against such a creature that, can, that seemingly cannot be killed is futile. Now, the phrase there that the people declare, who is like the beast, it's, it's very similar to a declaration of God of a worship of God from Exodus chapter 15, verse 11. Who is like you, O Lord? Or Psalm 35, verse 10. O Lord, who is like you? So 
using words that were meant to be used in praise of God are now being used in praise of this beast, this Antichrist. The amazement of the world at the sea beast result in the worship of Satan as well as the beast. Satan is the ultimate source of the Antichrist's power. So if the sea beast is worshipped, so also will Satan be worshipped. This sort of worship is Satan's deep desire because he desires to be like God. He thinks he can be a better God than God. In Isaiah 14, 14, he says, I will make myself like the Most High. Trying to set himself up as God is just naturally there. Look at verse 5. And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name, and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. But notice, as it will be mentioned several times here and afterwards, that the beast has no power on his own. His power stems from Satan, who can only act himself within the bounds that God has placed on him, with limited power for a limited time period. So even though the sea beast will bring about great atrocities, he will be limited by God both in severity and length, despite the fact that he would raise great evils against God and his people. So the blasphemies that are of, they are the gravest form, and we see that because of the depth of the description of them here that John lays out for us. Look at verse 7. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Again, it is mentioned that the authority of the sea beast is granted to him. His authority spreads throughout the entire world to make war with Christianity. Though the rest of the world, on the whole, will be worshiping the sea beast, Christians, whom God has known before the creation of the world, will not. We are not told how this worship will be demonstrated, and worship can take many forms through the daily life of an individual, from time to money to music to many other areas. All that we know from the text is that the majority of the world will be offering worship in one form or another to the sea beast, and by extension, Satan as well. Verse 9. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive to captivity, he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance of the and faith of the saints. So this time period may very well and will most likely bring widespread captivity and uh, and or death for the believer throughout the world as there is a legality of persecution of Christians. So the Christians are called then to persevere, even in the face of tremendous opposition because of what awaits them at the end of the endurance, uh, as well as um, what their testimony will 
produce. Verse 11. Then I saw another beast rising out of the sea. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. So his two horns, this second beast, this land beast, are in contrast to the ten horns of the sea beast. It would seem as though he is not as fierce as the first beast, but still holds significant power and authority. And he's also presented like a lamb as though he is an imitation of Christ. In addition, he speaks like a dragon, of whom was referred to earlier as Satan. Now, this specific beast here is called, in Revelation, the false prophet. He is called that in Revelation 16, verse 13, uh, Revelation 19, verse 20, and Revelation 20, verse 10. So, this second beast, the land beast, is a false prophet. Uh, Verse 12. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. So this land beast here has the authority of the first beast. He points everyone in the earth towards the sea beast for worship. He would appear to be something like a priest of the sea beast religion. Then there is another mention of the healing of the sea beast, seemingly indicating that the healing had a significant impact on the world. And then he performs these signs, and these signs are performed, uh, they are used to further point people to worship the sea beast. And they also resemble the miracles that Jesus did to point people to worship God. Look at verse 14. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, and and so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. The phrase there, those who dwell on the earth, Uh, is referring specifically to unbelievers. Unbelievers will be deceived by the miracles performed by the false prophet, but Christians will be able to recognize them for what they really are. And see, the false prophet here, he's given power to perform his signs. His power is allowed by one greater than himself, and his power is very limited. It is interesting that this land beast uh, can only perform signs in the presence of the sea beast. We're not told why, but he can only do them in in his presence, possibly because the sea beast's power comes from Satan himself, and the land beast has to be in that presence in order to perform these signs. We don't really know, but his, his, his power to perform these signs are limited to the presence of the sea beast. And the land beast is also given the power to animate the image of the sea beast, the idol that they create of the sea beast, of the Antichrist. Now, we don't know what all that entails, um, but it is nonetheless impactful on everyone who sees this idol, this image, act as though it were a living, breathing thing. And the land beast then attempts to cause the death of the non-image worshippers. Similar to Daniel chapter 3 in the order to worship Nebuchadnezzar's image, resulting in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown into the fiery furnace. Verse 16. Also, 
It causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. So every non believer is given a mark in a very conspicuous place so that their loyalty can quickly be identified. It is similar to the mark that the believer receives from Revelation chapter 7, verse 3, and Revelation chapter 14, verse 1. One must have this mark, this mark of the beast, in order to buy and sell anything in an official capacity similar to having a username and a password for online transactions today. Now, the mark of the beast, notice, is his name or a number that is related to his name. Now, we're not given his name, nor looking again specifically at the wording there, verses 17 and 18, we're not given the number of his name. John says that the number given is the number of the beast, not necessarily the number of his name. So look at the end there of verse 17. The mark of the beast is the beast's name or the number of his name. But then we were given a number in verse 18, but that number, 666, is the number of the beast, not the number of the beast's name, and it's also called the number of man. So we have no idea, no indication is given there of what the mark of the beast is, whether, you know, being the name of the beast, the number of the beast, um, or the number of the beast's name. But the number that's given there in verse 18, John doesn't expound upon what that is about. Um, Some have applied an ancient superstitious coding practice called uh, gematria, where in the Greek alphabet, uh, the first nine letters represent single-digit numbers, the next ten represent double digits, uh, and, and so on and so on. Uh, but this is awkward and provides, honestly, countless possibilities, besides the point that this was not a widely accepted practice in the first century church uh, as a, you know, writing codes in this fashion. It seems more likely that 666, as the number of man, is a falling short and an imitation of the triple perfection of 777. But either way, the two beasts are deceivers as they attempt to oppose the work of God. And so as we've examined in Revelation chapter 12 and Revelation chapter 13, just as God is at work to do many things and bring great compassion and hope to the world and still give opportunity to people to come to know him, the enemy is also at work in opposition to everything God would seek to do. And so, thank you for joining us today as we've examined Revelation 12 and 13. I, pr- I hope that you will join us next time as we take a look at the next uh, section of the book of Revelation. And if you f- did find any of this information helpful, like, share this podcast. If you have any questions or comments, contact us through our website, dequeen.church, and uh, we would love to get back to you on that. And uh, I will catch you in the next one.